All right, and we are rolling once again. I am Lee Grant. This is Kevin Pendergrass, and we are here for another installment of Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace. Joining us tonight is one of our favorite guests, one of Kevin's good friends, and a man who I am pleased to say has become a friend of mine as well in the time that we have been able to interact with one another. Brandon Johnson is joining us once again. Brandon, welcome back to the podcast, brother. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate y'all inviting me to come on again. I'm excited to be here and uh, hope to have a good discussion with the two of y'all this evening. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. The last time you were here, we talked about a really, really pressing issue that has a lot of societal implications, and that's the problem of pornography. And that was a really good discussion. It was a really deep discussion. We received a lot of really good feedback from our listeners about those episodes. They enjoyed them. They found them encouraging, and they really appreciated the honesty and the openness that we were able to have that discussion in. And tonight, we're going to be kind of going a completely different direction. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And this is this is a topic that really has no straight answers. There are some answers in scriptures that seem more clear than others, but this is one of those topics that has such a wide range of opinions and ideologies and applications that it's really... It's there, there's a lot out there on this idea and no one really knows how exactly to nail down the Holy Spirit. And that, that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about in this episode. Yeah, this is definitely a, a different course of conversation than our the last time we got together. But uh, I think the Holy Spirit is a, an amazing topic. Uh, but like you said, for the, probably for the majority of my adult life, the majority of my, majority of my Christian life, the Holy Spirit was one of those topics, frankly, I just completely avoided it uh, because it made me uncomfortable. It was one of those things that I didn't have answers to. Um, of course, part of that came from my own journey, came from my own experience and how I grew up and, and the way Christianity was was dealt out to me, was taught to me. Um, I grew up in a church that, for the, the simplest way I know to put it, is they believed the Holy Spirit retired after the first century. Uh, they believe that <laughs> it's a, I don't, I don't know how else to put it, but that's the simplest way. He, he's in retirement, doesn't do anything anymore. Yeah, he's, he's sipping mimosas on the beach in Jamaica, just, you know, enjoying the life, you know, wearing a, you know, a flowered shirt. Looks like Master Roshi from Dragon Ball, but without the creepiness. Yeah, exactly. That, that's pretty much uh, what, what the church taught. We, I don't know how many sermons I heard as a, as a kid and a young adult in that church about how the Holy Spirit only worked through the word. In, in other words, uh, the Holy yeah. Spirit's only influence on the believer was through scripture, that he did nothing outside of scripture anymore. And so that kind of left me in a perplexing situation. Cause if you, if you read the new Testament, it's hard to find one page of it that you don't find the Holy Spirit in it, doing something active, working in the church, working through believers. And even going back into the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit not as this passive being, but as a very active being. And so that, that left me in a really perplexed, um, really a perplexed situation. Even as an adult, even as a teacher and, and an evangelist and a minister in a church, uh, you never heard me teach on the Holy Spirit because it was something way outside my comfort zone, at least until the last two or three years. Um and having come out of that, coming out of the position that the Holy Spirit's basically retired, um, it leads you kind of into this, into an uncomfortable position because, frankly, there is a lot of mystery around the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of mystery in Christianity as a whole, um, and we struggle with that. Um, our, yeah. our society, our culture, uh, frankly, our churches, we all like this idea of knowledge and knowing things and be able to put our hands on things that are concrete. Um we uh, have kind of built a faith that's based on knowledge and correct understanding. And at the end of the day, that's not faith. That's just knowledge. Um, and so we really yeah. get uncomfortable with those things that are mysterious. And scripture is very clear that there are a lot of things that are mysterious. Deuteronomy 29, 29 uh, is one passage that many people know that comes up when we discuss these things. And that says the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And we love those uh, those revealed things. Uh, it's those secret things that make us uncomfortable. You know, we don't like those. Yeah. And well, the Holy Spirit, you know, you're talking about your background and your upbringing, how that colored your view of the Holy Spirit. And I can say 
a hearty amen to that because I completely empathize growing up Pentecostal. We were talking a little before we hit record on some of the experiences that I experienced in church growing up in the church I grew up in. And I won't, I won't go into quite the detail I went into whenever I told you guys this story before we hit play. But I mean, growing up Pentecostal, you know, it, you had church services that were dead. And usually if a church service was dead, that means nothing exciting happened and no one did anything crazy. And if, if the spirit really moved or if things really, really got energetic, then people were shouting and throwing their hands up and hollering at the top of their lungs. People would run around the pews and crash in front of the, in front of the pews up at the front and roll around on the floor. And there was one sister that I remember her dress came up over her head and everyone could see her underwear, but no one cared because the spirit was moving. And oh man, you have, you have people speaking in tongues and, and that is to say there, and I, I still believe that speaking in tongues is, is what we often learned and heard in the churches of Christ, that it was speaking a language that you had never formally studied or had any training in or understanding of. You could miraculously speak that language. And, in that church, people would speak in tongues, but the things they would say, it didn't sound like any language at all. It, it's, it's, it, I don't know. So to come out of that and then to whenever I began dating my wife, whenever we began talking and we began to study and to hear such a different take on the work of the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And to go from the Holy Spirit is moving on this church service and making people scream and shout and holler and run around the pews and roll around on the floor and carry on and laugh uncontrollably and all this other stuff to the Holy Spirit only influences us through the word, that one word only perspective. That was it was a real sea change, but it's one that I accepted because I really didn't value those great emotional outbursts that people would engage in. And I've always been one that more appreciated the intellectual side of things. So I was right at home in that. But really, in a way, whenever you do that, it's it's almost like what you're talking about, Brandon, whenever the Holy Spirit is viewed in those terms and the Holy Spirit is viewed in terms of only operating through the word. Well, that's something we can grasp. That's something we can hold in our hand It's something concrete, like what you're saying. You can hold the Bible in your words and you can read those words. And if you reconcile the idea of the work of the Holy Spirit with this, it's easy to understand and it provides a measure of certainty which, as you said, is the opposite of faith. And it also removes so much of that mystery that the scripture talks about over and again. And it seems to me that that that's not the best way to approach the work of the Holy Spirit either, especially in light of what we see in scripture. Lee, you and I have talked a lot about your upbringing in the Pentecostal church, and I've spoken to others who have left the Pentecostal church, but who are still with within the Christian belief, but who have just left that particular brand. And they they tend to migrate more toward this word only belief of the Holy Spirit as well, because I don't think not just because it's something that's easier to grasp, but also because they've seen such an abuse of it. And yeah. I've even I've even just just what you're talking about. I've even spoken to individuals who grew up in the Pentecostal church who said that they had to convince themselves to act a certain way or feel a certain way because they weren't feeling what their pastor had had preached that they had to feel and they weren't they weren't getting that feeling and so they somehow were they were trying to develop that feeling and they either never got it or they they had to fake it and they knew deep down that they were faking it and they just saw that abuse uh, in fact one individual i know he he grew up in the pentecostal church was an ordained pastor in the pentecostal church and he said that when he when it came time to speaking in tongues uh, which, of course, as you put it, is is very different, uh, I think, when we look at Scripture than the way many Pentecostals understand it today. And that may be a good topic in the future specifically to discuss. But he said that uh, when they were ordaining them, they said, OK, you know, you've got to speak in tongues. you got to speak in tongues. And he just he said nothing was happening. And they had told him that he didn't have to do anything. The Holy Spirit would would do it and that he just needed to just stand there and the Holy Spirit would do it. Well, they were all gathered around him saying, all right, come on, you know, what's going on? Do you, do you even have the Holy Spirit? Maybe we're mistaken. Maybe we don't need to ordain you. And so he said the first thing that came to his mind, he had seen a car commercial uh, just a few days prior, and uh, he said he just started saying, I, I should have bought a Honda, and he said it fast. He said, I should have bought a Honda, and they go, yeah, that's it. That's it. The Spirit's working. And so he just kept repeating, should have bought a Honda, should have bought a Honda, should have bought a Honda. And uh, I know that sounds like a joke. This isn't a joke. This is a yeah. real story of an individual. And so 
talking to, to, to individuals like him and then discussing this topic with other people, I think that they've been so, I think they've been kind of burned on the idea of the Holy Spirit. And so when you've been taught, hey, there's this other way of understanding the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit's retired and the Holy Spirit used to work in the first century, but now that we have the the Bible and the New Testament, Holy Spirit just doesn't do anything anymore. And I think people are attracted to that to an extent, especially if they have been abused um, in, in times past on what the Holy Spirit does or is supposed to do. No, I think you're exactly right with that. I think that's 100% spot on. And I've, I know of a similar story of someone else who was in those circles, but instead of should have bought a Honda, they said, see my belt, see my tie over and over again. See my belt, see my tie, see my belt, see my tie. And it's, it, that's just proof or to me it's, it's evidence. I don't want to say it's proof, but it's evidence even further that the work of the Holy spirit is sorely misunderstood. And so in one sense, you have the Holy spirit doing all of this wild zany stuff. And then on the other hand, the Holy spirit, he's retired and he's doing nothing and he's only working through the word. And in both of those senses, there's really not a great deal of mystery behind it. And that mystery is what we tend to lean away from because that, that mystery, it runs counter to that certitude and that certainty that so many denominations, including those in the churches of Christ, and I would even say, it, it, especially the churches of Christ, bank their faith on. It's that certainty in knowing exactly what one must do to be saved. This is exactly what we must do to worship and be pleasing unto God. We must know exactly how the Holy Spirit works. This is a question, and I have the answer. Well, but and, and- it ignores that mystery, Brandon, that you were talking about. And Brandon, this is something that I know you and I have had this discussion. I think when we first met, we talked a lot about this because we were happy that we were the the truth seekers who believed in word only when there were so many people who were starting to abandon that position. But even many in the churches of Christ, particularly, who didn't believe in word only, they, they would still believe that the Holy Spirit didn't do much of anything. They would say that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, but there was really not a good explanation of what he's doing because no one, you know, in the churches of Christ, no one wanted to look like a Pentecostal. And so even those who say, who would say, well, no, I think we have the Holy spirit in us. And I believe that we do have, have the Holy spirit. And well, what does he do? Does he lead you? Well, no, I think we have to study to be led. And well, does he, you know, what, what exactly does he do? Does he bring you wisdom? Well, no, I think you have to study and go through experiences to gain wisdom. Well, what does the Holy Spirit do? And there was never this explanation. And so to me, that almost is is worse than word only because at least word only makes a little more, it's it's a little more, more coherent because you're saying that the Holy Spirit once did something, he's not doing what he once did anymore. And now we just have the Bible and that when we read and study and apply it, we technically have the Holy Spirit within us. I think that to me makes more sense than saying, no, we really have the Holy Spirit in us, but he's not doing anything. Right. In fact, the uh, the group that I grew up in, we used to have this saying that if you wanted to believe that the Holy Spirit personally indwelled your body, that was fine as long as you would would clearly state he doesn't do anything. He's there, but he's not doing anything. If yeah. you could take that position, we could still <laughs> exactly. fellowship you. Um, and I think a lot of people take that position <laughs> because they're afraid that if they accept the Holy Spirit doing something in their life, that that somehow devalues Scripture. I know a lot of people that, that I have talked to and associated with, that's kind of their hangout. They're like, well, if I if I take the position that script, that the Holy Spirit actually is helping me and working on me and sanctifying me and doing things through me and in me, then I am somehow devaluing Scripture and saying it's not important, saying it's I need, I need something other than the Word of God. And, and my response to that is, if Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit is indwelling us and is doing something, then we're devaluing Scripture when we say He's not. Yeah. No, that's a really interesting point, man. And I think that's, I think that's really spot on. And I really think that a lot of that boils down to and, and emanates from this attitude that, that elevates Scripture above where God has actually placed it. And it really comes from a knowledge-based faith or a knowledge-based religion and pursuit of God 
rather than a relational because the Holy Spirit being in you and indwelling you and working within you and helping you through life and operating in the manner that he does, whatever that is, as we're going to discuss this, we'll try to hone in on that and get a better idea as this episode rolls out. But that's relational. That's a relationship. I mean, you have a relationship with God through Christ and the Holy Spirit helps you develop that relationship through sanctification or or other things and other means. That's relational. And it's really scary because it also lends itself to subjectivity because if the Holy Spirit is helping you along in your life, your life looks way different than mine. And so the way the Holy Spirit may help you may be completely different than the way the Holy Spirit helps me. And we don't like subjectivity. We want things to be objective. We want things to be certain. We want things to be right down the line and right down the middle. And whenever you take a word-only approach, you have that ability to really flesh that out. So I, I think that's really spot on, brother. We avoid it because in some way, in the minds of some, it does devalue the authority of the Scriptures and the power of the Scriptures. It does for a lot of people, but what's interesting is we get hung up on the Holy Spirit, but we don't get hung up on prayer. We ask God to do things for us separate and apart from Scripture through prayer, and we have no problem with that. When we ask yeah. God to intervene on behalf of somebody who's who's been rebellious or somebody who's backsliding, or we ask God to intervene in prayer for somebody uh, in their health or whatever the means might be, maybe we're asking God to intervene in our life because we're struggling with something. We don't see that as an attack on Scripture. But for some reason, when it comes to the Holy well, Spirit and saying he's doing something, that's that's somehow an attack on Scripture. Well, I, I would I would push back, though, Brandon, and say that a lot of people do have a problem with that. And that's why I think so many have problem a problem with uh, in their prayer life, because I remember having this conversation uh, with with many people. And we talked about, well, you know, what are, what are we asking for in prayer? And this this kind of led to deeper conversations about God and how God operates, because I, I remember having one conversation with a minister and uh, who, who I was once really good friends with. And I said, well, you know, do you believe that God works today? And he goes, well, yeah, of course he works. And, and he said, that's why we pray. I said, well, OK, if you're praying for somebody to, uh, to to have a successful surgery, for example, I said, what are you praying for? You know, what, what What exactly do you hope will happen because you pray that would have not happened because if you did not pray? And he said, well, I don't know. I said, well, are you praying that, you know, that the surgeon's not going to slip? And are you asking God to provide some sort of extra knowledge to the doctor that perhaps he didn't already have? Are you prepared? You know, what, what exactly are we praying for? And he sat there for a few minutes and said, well, I actually don't know. And, and I think that that's something that I have struggled with, which we've talked about this some, because I'm, I, I don't want to use the word skeptic because I certainly believe in the Holy Spirit. And the last thing I want to do is quench the Holy Spirit, which I'm not even sure what that means. But uh, I certainly don't want to quench the Spirit. But, you know, this is something that I have always struggled with because I, I still am of that not belief, but I still have that habit of wanting to have everything figured out and wanting to have an answer for everything. And so when you get into thing like things like prayer, I'll be honest, this is something I still I still struggle with prayer because a lot of times I'm thinking, well, God's going to do what he's going to do. And, and especially if it's something that I pray for every day, you know, my mom's got cancer right now. And so I find myself a lot of times just saying, well, you know, God knows that I want her to heal or want him to heal her. And so, you know, why, why am I asking this every day? I mean, it just can become so repetitive. And so, you know, this is something that I still struggle with and work through. I mean, I've read so many different books on prayer and, and, and the Holy Spirit. And I think it all goes back to what you're talking about, which just we have to accept that mystery. And uh, we, we, we're not always going to have the answers. But going back to your original point, I, I do think that there are a lot of people who would push back on what you said and say, well, no, Brandon, uh, you know, we, we, we don't believe that when we ask God to do something that he's miraculously going to do something. We think that he's going to do something through providence uh, instead of, you know, we, we always called it providence, of course. I know you, you guys did, too. It wasn't a miracle. It was God's providence. And to try to understand and define the difference between the two, I, I could never get anyone to do that. And I myself could never really do that. It was just, I didn't want to say miracles. So I would say God's providence, but we would say, well, God would, God works through natural means and through providence through prayer, but not through supernatural means, which is kind of contra- a, a contradicting uh, or a contradicting statement because 
anything God does technically is supernatural because he's a supernatural being. But uh, but no, I, I understand what you're saying. And I mean, in large part, I agree. But just for those who may be listening and thinking that, uh, you know, that the kind of that distinction you're drawing, I, I would say that there would still be those who would, you know, who, who would uh, push back on with, with what you said there. That makes sense. I, I think it's sad, and I would include myself in this category up until the last few years. Isn't it sad that we have become so married to certainty and to knowledge that the Holy Spirit and prayer are two massive struggles in Christians' lives? That they they really struggle yeah. with the fact oh, of believing that God's actually going to do something through the Spirit and through prayer. It's like you open your Bible and, and you t- mm-hmm. it's hard to find a page where God's not working through someone's prayer or working through the spirit, but we have become so married to certainty and become so married to knowledge that we basically want to argue with scripture on those two issues. Yeah. Well, uncertainty is comfortable and mystery is scary because mystery requires saying those three words that no one wants to utter. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's nothing scarier to someone who, like you said, is so married to certainty than saying those three words. I don't know. Well, what do you think of the spirit? How do you think the spirit works? Well, I don't know. Yeah. And I may never know. And that's really scary because it, you know, it's one thing to say, I don't know, but let me go do a little digging and then I'll come back with an answer, (laughs) (laughs) you know, instead of saying, well, you know, I don't know and I may never know. And, uh, but no, that's a good point, Brandon. I've never really thought of it that way to show just how, how much, faith, for lack of better words, we put in our own certainty because the things that are uncertain, such as the Holy Spirit and prayer, are the things that we tend to stay away from. Or when we do speak about them, we speak about them so uh, so you know generically that there's really no practical application that can be had with it. And uh, you know we never want to say we don't know because that's I, I don't like saying I don't know. I want to know something. And the, the fact that a lot of this is well beyond our own human comprehension can be a scary thing when you've been taught that Christianity and certainty go hand in hand. And then you're starting to learn about all these things that are so uncertain. Yeah, and there's I mean, a lot of uncertainty. Further- oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, there's, sorry. there's a lot of uncertainty and mystery around the Holy Spirit. We freely recognize that, you know, things like, how are there three three persons in the Godhead. How is the Holy Spirit God and yet a different person? I, yeah. I don't care how theologically trained you are. You're not going to have a good explanation for that. Christianity has battled that one for, for 2,000 years. Um, but we believe it. Why? We, we accept it because we believe that's what Scripture teaches, and we accept it on faith. So why then do we struggle with all the other things when it comes to the Holy Spirit that we can't explain? Um, and, I, and I think that's what has led me to a change is that honestly my my faith in scripture has led me to a place in which i believe it teaches the holy spirit is very active in believers lives and that he's not relegated to the first century he wasn't relegated strictly to scripture and he wasn't retired Um, are there a lot of things about the spirit i can't explain sure there's a lot of things about jesus there's a lot of things about god there's a lot of things about prayer and i could put the list a great big list together there's a lot of things that are mysterious, but I have put faith in the Word of God and, and in what He says, and because it says it, that's what I believe. And, and I believe a lot of things we missed about the Holy Spirit, those of us who came from the background of He was retired and relegated only to Scripture, there are a lot of things in Scripture we missed because every time we saw the Holy Spirit in Scripture, we just skipped over it because He's retired, He's not doing anything. Um, and it's one of those things, dependent upon which filter and which glasses you come to the scripture with, uh, determines what you see and what you get out of it. Um, and for me, as I began to change on that, um, there was so much that jumped out in scripture to me that I had missed before about the Holy Spirit being active in the lives of believers. Yeah, let's and let's jump into that because we've been talking a lot about mystery and the things we don't know, but there are some things that have been revealed to us. And so we'll we'll jump into that and talk a little bit about what made you change your mind. Uh, how did you go from a word-only guy? And by the way, define that a little bit, Brandon, for people who may not. I'm sure most people are pretty familiar with what Lee's talking about in the Pentecostal holiness ideology of, of the Holy Spirit because... 
unfortunately, that's mocked a lot. And so people are, are, are kind of know about that. Um, and, and just kind of the, the idea of the, for lack of better words, craziness. And I want to be careful because if there is someone listening to this, who's I'm not mocking and I'm not making fun of or anything of that nature, but just stating the differences, the vast differences between that view and then what, what we have been talking about called the word only view. So first kind of define that for us a little bit and then tell us a little bit about your change and, and what led you to, to where you're at now with your belief on the Holy Spirit. Sure. Uh, well, first off, um, what we term the word only view is we people who hold that view believe the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. He's part of the Godhead. Uh, but they believe that he only works through Scripture. He no longer does miracles through, through uh, believers. He also does not personally indwell believers. It's not a he doesn't come into the heart or the mind of a believer. He only influences a believer through the word, and he doesn't influence the believer separate and apart from the word. Um, you've heard people talk about enlightenment that the Holy Spirit could enlighten our hearts or enlighten our understanding. Word only believers do not uh, do not believe that the Spirit does anything separate and apart from the Word. The Spirit doesn't help you understand the Word. He doesn't work on you to sanctify you. Everything that God does to you and upon your heart and mind is only strictly through Scripture. Um, so basically, the Holy Spirit was active in the first century, and since then he's been retired. He produced the, he produced the Scriptures. Uh, he helped the first century Christians spread the Gospel through miraculous means. But once uh, once we had Scripture... Uh, he retired, and he is no longer active on earth. That's the simplest way I know how to boil down that belief, and that was mine. Go ahead. No, that was that's a great explanation. Well, I was going to say that's, you did a fantastic job explaining it, um, and so that's that's a pretty a pretty big leap from where you came from in your belief to where you're at now. And so what led you to that point? Perhaps the Holy Spirit? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, a little I bit of inception here, yeah. Uh, I, I actually do believe that. I tell people that. Um, honestly, uh, one of the biggest things that helped lead me out of that, obviously, like you two, I, I went through a transformation uh, some years back in which uh, the simplest way I know to put it is that I found grace. I've always been a believer, always been a churchgoer, always been a Bible student. Um, but my faith was was completely uncertainty, and it was certainly devoid of grace. Um, and as I began to embrace uh, God's work through grace and all the things that uh, that go with that, uh, one of those things that you guys fully understand and have talked about many times is how our Christian walk should be a relationship with God. It's a relational thing. It's not law-based. Well, in that process, you, it's hard to have relationship when you are keeping the Spirit out of your life. In fact, we'll look at some passages probably in our in our next podcast on this that Scripture teaches that part of our close tie into our relationship with the Father is the Holy Spirit. Uh, in fact, I'll just I'll give you one one little tidbit before we get there. In Romans chapter eight, it says we are given the Spirit so that we will cry out to the Father. Abba Father, which is that, as many of you know, that's that that's that word that's used by children, small Jewish children, when they would reference their their father, when they would call out to him, was we might say dad or or daddy. It's it's the idea that God has placed the Spirit in us so that we will feel like His children. You know, uh, relationship is more than just knowledge. I want you guys to think about your own relationship with your wife or your kids or your parents or your grandparents. That relationship's a lot more than just knowledge, isn't it? Isn't there a lot of feeling and connection that's involved there? And I believe Christianity, I believe the scriptures teach clearly that one of the major aspects of relationship with God is the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would go so far as to say it is impossible to have a deep connection to God when you are not following the leading of the Spirit. Now, we'll have to talk more and more about what that means, but um, I think Scripture is very clear about that. And, and as I changed my view from a law-based faith to a relationship-based faith, all of a sudden there was not only a place for the Spirit, there was a need for the Spirit. And uh, obviously my view of Scripture changed throughout that process as well, which enabled me to actually see and consider the passages on on the Holy Spirit. But those that's probably the biggest thing that led me to it, was all of a sudden my faith required a relationship with God, and the Holy Spirit was the the person who made that relationship possible after Jesus. 
One, I think that for me, you just put it in such a more eloquent way than, than I could, but you just really described a lot of my understanding as that has changed related to the Holy Spirit and his work and his role in bringing one closer to God. And I think, Kevin, I might have been talking to you about this a while back when we were on the phone. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. I was raised within the Christian faith, left it behind for a period of time and then returned to it. But I never really have had a relationship with God. I mean, it may have been Daniel I was talking to this about. I really have never had a relationship with God or a relationship with Jesus until probably the last year and a half, maybe two years. And and Brandon, what you just said about how the Holy Spirit helped your paradigm shift and your perspective change, well, it really, you just kind of made a light bulb go off for me because that's kind of how it's worked with me in, in a similar way, except it's it's like the Holy Spirit's been working, but it's it's there's been a failure on my part to recognize that he has been involved in that. And whenever you're conditioned deeply to resist so much of that type of talk, it does make it harder to see, but it's, it's wonderful to know that in God's grace, he can still work with you and the spirit can still work with you. Even if you're not maybe fully open to it, if you're seeking and you really are trying and you do have a sincere heart and your heart really has changed, he can still work with you. Even if you don't get it, even if you don't fully recognize that he's working in you. That's a great point, Lee. I think something that we ought to briefly state here is that, for anybody who you know, may be struggling with accepting how much the Spirit actually is active in their life as a believer, um, I think the Spirit works through people who are even in denial of some of His work. Um, I've seen that in my own life. Um, but you said something about we sometimes don't see it, and I think that's important. There's a story, I wish I'd have printed it out. I believe it took place in, in South America. There was actually a tribe down there that uh, is like an indigenous tribe that had no word in their language for the color blue. Um, however, they, they um, had a much deeper and had many words in their vocabulary for the color green. And a lot of people believe that was because they lived in a rainforest environment. And there were so many different shades of green. Uh, but what's interesting is if you sat them down, some, some researchers actually sat them down in front of a screen with uh, several different shades of green uh, all next to each other, and they could they could list them all off and name them all in their own dialect of the different shades of green. Where if you sat somebody from from you know Western culture uh, from America in front of that same screen, that all they would see was green, because that's all we have. We just have one word for the word green. And I think the same lesson is kind of applicable here with the Holy Spirit. A lot of times believers don't recognize His work. Not because he's not working in their life, but because they have kind of shut out that idea that the Spirit is active, and so they're not seeing it. In fact, they may even be attributing it to to their own work and their own labor. And that's kind of, in my mind, one of those things that's scary about taking the position that the Holy Spirit's not active in your life is because if there is positive, righteous things happening, if if you are changing more and more to look like the image of Jesus, and you're not crediting the Spirit with that, you're, you're taking the glory for yourself. And, and our job as believers is not to is not to reflect glory on ourselves, but it's to reflect glory upon Jesus. And so when we when we don't take that active, you know, proactive look at what is the spirit doing in my life, and it doesn't necessarily mean he's not, but in a way, we're we're kind of stealing God's glory. And I think we really ought to be careful about that, think about that in, in our lives when we start seeing the fruit of the spirit. We better not be taking credit for that as if it's the fruit of Brandon or the fruit of Lee, you know. Uh, this is the fruit of the Spirit that's being produced in our life, and he's the one doing it. Uh, we need to be sure and give him the glory for that. Brandon, I wonder how much the influence of deism, especially during the Enlightenment period and, uh, and, and shortly thereafter, how much that influenced our, our, all of our thinking, especially those who grew up in a Protestant background where... You know, we, we would claim we're not deist. I remember in preaching school uh, when we were talking about the Holy Spirit, the professor made a point to say, now, we're not advocating for deism, but <laughs> in essence, God's not really involved. Of course, we would say God is involved, but we would be too afraid to ever attribute anything to God at all. 
And I was uh, uncomfortable because we, I'm sure we all know people who that it's, it's that person in your life who always talks about what God is doing for them. If they get a new job, they'll say, Oh, God provided me with a new job and it's just going great. Or, you know, or, or you know, this broke, but then uh, I didn't think I had the part to fix it and I was going to have to buy a new one and I didn't have the money. And then the Holy Spirit led me to find this part that I had in my garage I didn't even know was there. And, and, and that type of talk where everything is all about what God's doing in their life and just the difference between how someone like that talks versus someone like myself, <laughs> where everything is about me. And even if someone could point out and say, well, do you think God did it? I, I would be more apt to call it a coincidence than I would God intervening in my life. And and I, I've been reading a lot more about the Enlightenment period and just learning about that whole you know, that whole time period and the influence of how everyone really latched on to reason and how that that's really where, where certainty became popular among Christian thought. And we could know everything through just reasoning things out. And uh, so I, I do wonder, I don't know if you've done much study on that, but would you say that that there's been some uh, a negative effects upon Christianity because of deism? I, I would think so. I haven't studied that issue like you have. Uh, by any means, I know that's something that you've really been delving into a lot in the last few months. Um, but I would certainly say that that line of thought, I think, has really hurt us. In fact, just listening to you, I mean, I can I can relate to that so much in my the way I used to think. Um, but it, it strikes me now to hear you say that, remembering that I used to think that way, how off-center that, that way of thinking is that we are afraid yeah. to give God credit. I mean, think about that as a believer. Mm-hmm. We are more comfortable taking credit for something or giving the credit to coincidence than we are to giving it to God, especially when we have things like James said that all good gifts come from, come from the Father of lights. Isn't it interesting that we have gotten to a point in which certainty has driven us? We are more comfortable either taking credit or <laughs> refusing to give God credit than just saying, hey, is something good in my life? God has given it to me and blessed me. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, we, we would rather take this take the safe side and, uh, and attribute all great things to ourselves than make the mistake of accidentally attributing something to God. Exactly. Uh, when we're not sure if, if it was from Him or not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's interesting. It's a I think it's a paradigm that needs to shift. I'll put it that way. Um, well, and that, and that's what happens when you don't believe that God is working within your life. And look, I'm talking to myself because this is something that I have always struggled with. I mean, you know I've struggled with that. What really helped me kind of start this path uh, was, a, was the fall of 2019, so not too long ago. And I read the, the book called The Sin of Certainty by Peter Inns, and it was just a phenomenal book because book. it at least began to expand. I think you let me borrow it, too, uh-huh. if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it just helped expand my whole thought process of looking at things more from just my own certainty and my own limited knowledge, but realize that there's this whole world out there. And that that God is just far beyond anything. You know, I, I hate to use this phrase of we don't want to put God in a box because that that's such a cookie cutter phrase that everyone overuses. But it is true that it's so easy to put God in this box. And typically the box is the box we have individually created for God. And when it doesn't fit what I know to be true, uh, and not even necessarily what I know to be true, but just based upon my limited factual knowledge, well, I have to reject it. And I have really tried to start doing a better job at attributing every good thing to God. Uh, and, 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 I, and I will say this, Brandon, because this is something that I, I, what you said rings true. And I, I had this discussion probably, I don't know, three or four years ago in a Bible study with a group of about five or six other people. And we were talking about the the differences of all of our personalities within that group. And there was one individual who was just like the, the type of person I was talking about who attributes everything to God. I mean, everything, anything good that happened to them, they're like just talking about how good God is and they're praising God and that the Spirit led them to do this. And one of the points that someone else made is that they said they're careful to do that because they don't want to wrongly attribute something to God and it turn out wrong and then 
that individual start blaming God. And, you know, oh, I thought the Holy Spirit led me to this new job and this job's horrible. And, you know, now I'm mad at God or now I'm mad at the Holy Spirit. Why did he do that? And so I, I do see where some people could argue a little bit on the other way that they want, you know, why they want to be careful. It's not a matter of not wanting to attribute good things to God. It's they don't want to misattribute something to God that may look good on the surface, but then end up turning back, you know, turning out bad. Same thing with, with even physical blessings. Uh, you know, people will say, well, God's blessing me because I'm wealthy and God gave me this job. And, and, and then you have someone else who's been praying for a job and, and instead of getting a good job, they lost their job. And they're like, well, why, you know, why, why is this person attributing all these great things to God? Well, I'm not getting that. So I don't, I'm bitter toward God now. And so I do think you have some tension there with sometimes how people interpret the events in their life. But ultimately, I'm of the opinion, always give God the glory for anything that, that's happening to you right now that's good. If it later turns out to be bad, uh, just assume that somehow there was evil that interfered with that mm. <laughs> and, and still attribute the good to God. If you go that route, I don't think you can ever go wrong. And even in that, so much of it is guesswork and that it's, yeah. you know, we don't really know for a fact if this is the Holy Spirit moving to let me get this parking spot while you have a kid with cancer in Africa, or if I yeah. had just yeah. enough flour left to make this cake, but you know, you've got starving pygmies down in New Guinea to borrow a quote from a, from a famous comedian. It's, it's one of those things we really don't know. And it gets back into that mystery. But like you said, what we do know is that the Holy Spirit does work and that the Holy Spirit does have a presence with those who follow after God. True. And and we'll get more into that here probably the next episode. That oftentimes what people the way people interpret the Spirit's work is strictly based on their feelings and not based upon what Scripture actually teaches. Uh, frankly, Scripture is pretty clear that a lot of times the Holy Spirit works when we are the most uncomfortable. He leads us into the most uncomfortable of situations, not the things that make us feel good, give us warm and fuzzies, things that make us happy always. Um, God is more interested in our transformation than he is in our comfort. And I think a, a lot of people really struggle with, you know, is the spirit working? Because they're trying to make the spirit fit their understanding of, you know, how he should be working rather than realizing God's more interested in their change than he is in them being comfortable. Uh but scripture is clear in, in uh, my understanding that the Holy Spirit's at work. You can, 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is clearly active and clearly working. In fact, uh, one of the things that has always cracked what me What about up, the other four? The other four. Well, I, I guess in those four guys, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't busy. Uh, we have a book that we, uh, we call the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, one of the, probably the worst titles uh, for, of any book in scripture it's the acts of the holy spirit you read uh, from chapter one through the end of the book and it is it is a history of the spirit working through the church working through people bringing about faith bringing about transformation it's just it's it's verse after verse after verse of the holy spirit working and i know what some people are thinking they're thinking well that was the first century but that's what the church was built on was the Spirit being active and working in, in their lives. And then the, for us to think today that the Spirit has just abandoned us, uh, I think is uh, I think is selling God really short. Uh, in fact, Jesus even said in John chapter 16 that he was going to go away and it was advantageous for the disciples that he left because he was going to send the Spirit. And that's John 16 verse 7. Uh now, I know a lot of folks are going to hang up on that and be like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. That was that was specific to the apostles. Well, what's interesting is in that same context where you have Jesus saying, uh, it, here's the commandment I give you to love one another. We all jump on that and say, hey, that applies to everybody. But the very next few verses where Jesus says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you. He's going to comfort you. That doesn't apply to us. That only applies to the apostles. Uh, in fact, in one place, it's only one verse separating the two. It's, it's interesting how we have uh, divided that up. But again, Jesus even viewed it as it was going to be better for the believers once the Spirit came, even though he was going to leave. I don't know how many times I have said and I've heard other, other saints say, man, if Jesus was only still here like he was with the apostles, we'd have, just think how much better that would be. We'd have all these questions answered. Jesus' perspective was the opposite. Jesus' perspective was it's going to be better for the believers 
for the Spirit to be present in their lives than for Jesus to physically be present in their lives. I think that's enough that should make us step back and think, hmm, maybe the Spirit is meant for us to be busy. Maybe he's meant for to be busy in our lives. And there's a lot of passages, man. I just want to give you a quick list. Um, these are things that uh, you know you can read on your own. Uh, one of the ones that has really jumped out to me is uh, is Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. Um, I might give a little bit more context than, than just that verse, but um, I love... Yeah, go ahead. Go this, ahead, do it. I love this section here. Uh, because it's something that we oftentimes talk about and we miss the Holy Spirit in it, which uh, I know I am so guilty of. It, it amazes me as I read through Scripture. I've been reading the Bible since I was a little kid, that now that I am willing to accept that the Spirit is active in lives of believers, all these places where Scripture talks about the Spirit, all of a sudden now here he is that I <laughs> didn't realize he was at. But uh, here at Luke chapter 11, I'll begin in verse 11. It says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give? And I'll stop right there. How many of us have heard that teaching on prayer and how God wants to give us good gifts? I'm sure you guys yeah. have heard teachings on that. Yeah, we've taught on it, brother. And we don't finish the last part of verse 13. What is the good gift that God wants to give us if we'll ask? It says, how much more will the Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, we teach that as wow. it applies Man, I to... Have, I have never... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, I have never even recognized that before. Yeah, me either until a couple years ago. It's yeah. shocking because we've taught that passage of scripture over and over again about how God loves us, what kind of father he is to us, how much he wants to answer our prayer. And Jesus is specifically talking about us asking for God to send his spirit to us. I think that's amazing. I think it's beautiful. I think it's amazing that we miss that. Well, I've always read Matthew's uh, Matthew chapter seven verse eleven. Uh -huh. that, that's the version that I've all you know. That's that's the account that I've always read where he says, uh, you know, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? I, I know I've read Luke eleven um, thirteen here because I mean I've read the whole Bible multiple times, at least the New Testament multiple times. But uh, yeah, man, I have never even noticed that before. It was one of those that the first time I read it, I about fainted. It was like, how in the world did I miss that? That's shocking. To a guy who believes... Well, and the, it is. It's one of those things. Well, to a guy who's oh, who only believed that the Spirit worked through Scripture, and then all of a sudden, here's Jesus telling believers, pray that God will send you the Spirit, because that's what God wants you to ask for. It, it's, I mean, it, it's shocking when you have, have denied that your whole life. Well, and whenever you take that perspective that, well, the Spirit indwells directly through the Word, and that's the only modality of operation that He engages in anymore, then essentially you can replace what Jesus said with, and pray that God will send you the Scriptures, pray that God will send you the Bible. And then, I guess, until the canon was closed, God decided to wait another 350 years or so before <laughs> He sent that to him. So, I mean, what did, what did they do in that time span? Because the, if if you take the secessionist view that the work of the Spirit, the miraculous work of the Spirit ended shortly after the first century, you got about a 250-year span where people are just kind of floating around without Jesus or the Holy Spirit in that regard. Right, so what exactly. about the folks in that era? Yep, exactly. Well, and frankly, guys, we've, we've always had this cute little picture about how Scripture shows up on the scene, and we've had it ever since. History tells a completely different picture. I mean, scripture, yes, was canonized 300 years after Jesus, uh, but 99.9% .9 of Christians had no access to it for about a thousand years. Um, so what about those folks? Were they completely devoid of the Spirit's yeah. influence in well, their life? That's a really, really interesting point. And, and I think it's one that's that's worth considering. It's It's one that's to me, that's one of the strongest cases that can be made against this idea of the work of the Spirit only through the Word after the close of the canon or after the completion of the Bible as we have it now. And if if that's the case, well, 
what about some of these other deuterocanonical books or some of these apocryphal books that are included within the canon of other churches, but they're not included in the Protestant Bible? Well, then which Bible is it that the Holy Spirit has worked through? I mean, is it only the King James Version from 1611 and so, you know, so on? Is it, That's the one that the Spirit works through. That's the one that, that the Holy Spirit picked to make his. Well, now you have a 1600-year gap. So, it, well, he worked through these books, but he doesn't work through those books. Okay, you can even drill it down that far. Well, which books does the Spirit work through? He doesn't work through the books of the Maccabees, but he does work through the Minor Prophets. It, you know, how far does that go? The Holy Spirit was only promised after Jesus' ascent into heaven, and it, that came to full fruition on the day of Pentecost, which we'll get into in the next episode. But that's that's where the Spirit operates. The Holy Spirit operates in the New Testament. Ah, he doesn't really operate in the Old. Well, how do we know that's the case? It just it, it can get crazy. Yes, it it really can. And and again, I come back to the the Holy Spirit being active in believers' lives is not a slight to Scripture. It is, it's an, an affirmation of Scripture because Scripture is, is what tells us He does it. Uh, I mean, another passage that comes to mind, Titus chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6, um, where Paul talking to Titus says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy He saved us, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And then listen to this, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I want you to think about that phrase, poured out on us generously. It's really a similar phrase to what Paul uses when he talks about grace in the book of Romans, where he talks about how sin abounded and grace abounded that much more. I mean, do we only find grace in, in a couple of places in Scripture, or is grace something that God has poured out on us, th- into us, into our hearts, something that's there day in and day out? And you see, Scripture paints this picture where the Holy Spirit is, is not confined somewhere. In fact, that phrase, poured out, implies not only an overwhelming amount, but it, it kind of implies a little bit of lack of control on our part, because God's doing the one is the one doing the pouring, which again implies that idea that God is going to use the Spirit to move us into places we're not comfortable. Uh, but again, Scripture just continues to paint the picture that the Holy Spirit is actively in Christians' lives. It's Paul paints it here when he writes to Titus as if it's a part of our saving process, that he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit's an active part in our salvation and an active part in our renewal as a person to look like Jesus. And to, to miss that is to miss, frankly, one of the biggest blessings of being a believer in Jesus. Are y'all there? <laughs> yeah, we're here. Yo, I, I was just Man, yeah, I was, I was just listening, man. I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking it all in. All right. Well, and and for me, it, like that awkward silence for me, that's that's processing. I'm catching up to where you are, dude. And what's so wild is that growing up in Pentecostalism, where there's such a heavy emphasis on the Holy Spirit, and then growing up within the churches of Christ or coming into the churches of Christ, where there's such a different spin on the Holy Spirit. The way that you're describing it, you know, because I have had experience with both ends of the spectrum on this ideology of the spirit and who he is and how he works. And just to hear the way you're putting it, it with all of that exposure, you're still putting it in a way that I've never considered. And so my mind's just swimming with the ramifications of what that means and the practical sense of what it looks like for the spirit to work within the heart of a believer and within the mind of a believer and within the life of a believer. And that link there to the salvific aspect of the Holy Spirit's work within, you know, what Paul tells Titus, man, that's wild. That's a whole other wrinkle that I had never considered seeing that the Holy Spirit is, is involved with that. And this is coming from someone who's you know, the first memory verse I ever memorized was Acts 2 and 38, where the gift of the Holy Spirit is part of what you're going to receive. And to see it, you know, in 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 Acts, it's almost like there's this duality there. You're baptized and then the Spirit does his thing, whatever that thing is. 
but in Titus, it's almost as if they're intertwined. They're inseparable from one another. You can't have one without the other. You won't have one without the other. And it's, it's, it's something that I'm just trying to wrap my head around and I'm just trying to consider. So awkward silence, notwithstanding, it's just, you stump both me and Lee, Brandon. Yeah. We're just, we're just you're, you're, uh, like you're blowing my mind, brother. That's rare, man. Usually we don't, we, we can't shut up. So the fact that you had us uh, still just thinking and contemplating, I, I was, you know, thinking about everything you were saying because it's just, I've got so many questions that as you're talking and, and I know we're going to be discussing here in a whole nother episode um, about some more of the, the, the nuts and bolts of this, but it's just real interesting to think about. I, I'm honestly, I'm still at like Luke eleven thirteen, wondering how in the world I've missed. That. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like sitting here, like reading the, the, the chapter, like how in the world, man. And I, and I think that that shows when we're, I use the word doctrinal conditioning a lot because uh-huh. I think when we've been conditioned to view doctrine in a certain way, we find what we're looking for and we are able to, you know, it's, it's like when I go to the refrigerator, um, I only find what I'm looking for. And usually I can't even find that half the time, but if, if I'm in there and I know exactly where something is that I'm wanting, and then Bethany says, Hey, can you, can you also bring this? Well, I may just kind of casually look and say, I can't find it, sweetie. You're going to have to come in here and get it. Well, I'm not really truly looking for it because I've already found what I'm looking for. And then if she wants something, you know, I'm, I'm a jerk and trying to just pass it off on her that she can come in here and look for it. And I, I kind of feel like it's the same thing with Scripture that, you know, it's it's not that we don't see it or it's not that we've never read it. It's that we've never paid attention to it because we weren't looking for it. And I, I just looking at Luke seven, Luke, uh, excuse me, Luke eleven, and thinking how I've always just focused on Matthew seven, and I've that's I've preached sermons on that, and I've never looked at that cross reference. And so, you know, asking for the Holy Spirit, that's just even when I started changing, the Holy Spirit was just something you know God gave you. It wasn't something you asked for. And so I used to mock people who in prayers because they would say, you know, Lord, just continue to, to give us your spirit. And I would say, well, we already have your, you know, his spirit. Why are they asking for it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a kind of, kind of the same thing you're talking about with grace and in Titus too, where, you know, we don't, we don't, I, I pray for grace daily. And, you know, I, I don't mock my own prayer and say, well, we already have grace, Kevin. Why do you keep asking God for it? So, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of this idea of abundantly he's poured out. And so this is fantastic, man. I know we haven't really covered a whole lot of ground, but the ground we've covered so far, I think she's been great. Well, well I'm, so much I'm of what this conversation's about here is to set the framework for what's to come and to lay the foundation of where our worldviews started, how they have developed and kind of where they're going. And Brandon will really be doing a whole lot more talking in the next episode. And you're really going to be leading the charge there because this is something that you've studied way more than I have. And your perspective will be warranted here. So we're, we're pretty well going to be handing the reins over to you when that happens. And you'll be doing the majority of the talking, which is which is fine by me, because like I said, you you've kind of blown my mind and Kevin's mind. Both. We both have that gift of gab and it is rare that we are left speechless. We, we don't have anything else to say, Brandon. Take it away, brother. <laughs> well, guys, so honestly, before we wrap this up. Oh, go ahead, bro. I, man, I, I, I think there's a slight delay, which is why we keep cutting each other off. I'll, I'll try to pause a little bit longer for that awkward silence next time. But uh, I think we're about ready to roll into the next section. But before we do that, I'd really like to just kind of maybe kind of wrap up with just one other passage, maybe just kind of whet everybody's appetite for next time. Um, I know y'all are yeah, get with it. to go too fast. Uh, like Kevin said about Luke 11, I had the same feelings. In fact, uh, when I, some of the study that we're talking about, um, is from a sermon series I did on the Holy Spirit, about a five or six part. And I remember when I came across Luke 11, it was the most exciting verse to me. I could not wait to share it with the church come Sunday. And you know what was funny? About half the church looked at me like, "What? yeah, we all know that, Brandon. Where have you been? Uh, So don't feel bad, guys. (laughs) I missed it too. And I thought everybody else had missed it and come to find out a lot of people had already run across it. So. But anyway, I want to leave you all with one more maybe to whet our appetites for uh, the next episode. That's uh, 1 John chapter 3, uh, verse 24. I think this passage illustrates a little bit 
the idea of of knowledge and needing something in addition to knowledge to help our relationship. Um, maybe I could uh, maybe I could give an example. Um, I know Lee and I are both dads. Um, Kevin's not there, and, and probably, frankly, uh, due to Kevin's maturity, he should never be a father. But uh, we'll- <laughs> I'm your daddy, baby. No, I'm no. your daddy, Brandon. There you go, <laughs> your daddy. So we we've all we all have dads. Case in point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we all have dads. My dad actually passed away a couple of years ago, um, and I'm sure. Uh, I'm assuming you guys both had good dads. I know Kevin. Kevin's dad. He's a good guy. Um, our dads told us, you know, that I'll, I'll tell you that story later, but go ahead. Okay. Well, we might have to accept Lee, you know, make him an exception in this story. Our dads tell us they love us. Okay. My dad was, was very, my dad's real- awesome. We'll just go with him. All right. Your, your dad tells you he loves you. He's, <laughs> he's always told you that, uh, my dad did the same. Um, but there was, you needed something more than just the words, right? I mean, there, you needed some action. You needed something along the way to give those words some weight. Uh, God tells us throughout scripture that he's our father and that he lives in us, that he dwells in us, that he helps us. But I think a lot of believers need more than just the words. And uh, I think John understood that in first John three, verse 24, he says this, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Now God's already said he lives in us. But John recognized for believers, they might need something a little bit more. Just like kids might need something a little bit more than just words from their dad. Uh, They're going to need some action. They're going to need somebody to back them up sometimes. They're going to need somebody to tell them it's okay when they fail. And I think God is telling us through John here that we know that God lives in us and works through us, not just because he said so, but because he has moved in to reassure us it's so. And I think that's really cool. Dude, I think that's super powerful. That's super powerful, especially whenever you consider it in those terms. It it really sets the stage and establishes the case for what we're going to dive into in the next episode, where we kind of get to more of the meat and potatoes of how exactly the spirit works and what that looks like in, in as much as we can know what that looks like insofar as we can understand it, because that mystery component is still very much real and it's still very much a large portion of this. But I, I think we've done a good job to establish where we're going to go in the next episode. And it's going to be a dandy. And Lee, let, let me let me say one thing. I want to ask Brandon just to get his quick commentary on this before we close out. I've heard it presented before that when you look at the story, the narrative arc of scripture in totality, you see where God starts and where humans start. And they're at opposite ends. I'm not talking about the Genesis one through three story, but I'm talking about um, you know, after that, where you just see that that God, the way He relates to Israel, I mean, there's this sacrificial system. They can't even come up to the mountain. They can't even touch the mountain. I mean, even if an animal, one of their animals, uh, were to touch the mountain, Exodus says, you know, they would die. And so, you see how far God and and mankind or humankind are from one another. But then you see where Jesus comes to Earth and dwells among men. And now that the Holy Spirit actually dwells within men. And so I've in in uh, in humans and Christians. And so I've heard it put that way just to see how God this the whole story is about God getting close to us. And and we see how far away at one point God and and humankind actually were from one another, but now God is actually in us, not just among us like Jesus lived in among us which was great, but I've never thought of the point you pointed out. Um, and what was that verse again? You said it toward the, toward the beginning. Uh, and was it in John about how you said that it would actually be more beneficial for the disciples when Jesus left and the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon them? Sure. It's, uh, it's uh, in John, I believe it's chapter 16 and verse 7. You want to read that for us again? If you don't yeah, let me, let me get over there real quick. If you, if, if you got it. <laughs> I, I got it. It'll take me a minute, but I'll, I'll get there. But yeah, I, I, I do believe exactly what you're saying, that it's one of the reasons the New Covenant is so much better than the old, is that 
God is no longer distant. You had Jesus who came and lived among men, and then God actually comes and dwells within us. You, know, you think about how separate God was from the people, even his people Israel. Uh, he, you know, he, they had to have uh, these priests and sacrifices and all these things. That your own God, the only way you could have any kind of relationship with Him was through another sinful man, uh, through the through the high priest. That's the way that uh, the Hebrew writer talks about it. Is that you had to go through another sinful man who had to make atonement for himself, and then once he did that, then he could make atonement for you, and that was as close as you could get to God. And well, then Jesus uh, yeah. says, "I'm going to send you." the Holy Spirit, John chapter 16, verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It says it's for their good, it's for their better. That Jesus leave because the Holy Spirit was going to come and personally dwell in them. I think that's so cool. Hmm. Well, and I've never even thought of it the in in another sense, in you know that way, but also just the fact you see the totality of God. You see where where God, what we would think more of the Father in the Old Testament, and then we see Jesus the Son, and then now we have the Spirit living within us, and so you see that complete picture. So this is a really cool discussion, man. I really enjoying this. It, I am too. But as with all good things, they must come to an end. Uh, so we're going to wrap this episode up and we will have to continue this conversation at another time. We get to Next continue episode. it right now, but our audience, unfortunately, yeah. is going to have to wait. <laughs> yeah, you guys are going to have to wait. So wait another week. You'll get to get the uh, second half of this where we dive deep into that work and what scripture reveals that work to be. And we'll discuss that and give our commentary on it, but it'll primarily be Brandon. Um, thank you, Brandon, for taking time out of your life to join us and to have this discussion again, brother. You're, it's always fun talking to you. It's always fun to get your perspective and your insight on things. I appreciate your willingness to join us and all the work that you do, brother. I, we appreciate you tremendously. We also appreciate our audience. We love all of you. We appreciate all of you. We thank you for your insight and your input um, and the advice that you give us on subjects to discuss and topics to to consider and all of those wonderful things. We love the feedback that we receive from all of you. And we really look forward to checking our email every day to see what kind of uh, notes you guys are going to send us. So thank you for that. If you want to drop us a line, our email address is in the show notes. Give us that five-star review on the podcast platform that you choose to consume this podcast on. And uh, drop us a line anytime. Keep listening. Share our podcast with others. We love you all. Thank you much.